Hello and welcome to the Monday podcast from allthingsgerman.net and this week from Kali Lanzarotti. With me in the, the office here is Mike Cliff-Jones who lives on Lanzarotti which gives the game away of where we are. Um, All Things German normally coming to you from Germany. We've come from Madrid a couple of times and with so many people coming out to Lanzarotti from Germany on their holidays we've decided to bring the podcasting gear with us and meet a couple of people out here. So hi Mike. Hello, good morning. Good, good to meet you. Now, any readers will, of the blog will have realised I read your book a couple of weeks ago, so yeah. um, maybe some have bought it since then, we don't know. I think so, we'd hope so, yeah. <laughs> we, we think so. Yeah, we haven't looked, we haven't looked at the stats while we've been out here. Um, so, to keep in with the German thing, we know you went to Berlin once, that's in the book, so how is your German? Non-existent, or pretty much non-existent, I'm I'm ashamed to say, because I actually worked for Volkswagen Group for six years and spent a fair bit of time in Germany, but because I was always hosting trips for Brits, I almost exclusively spoke English, and like most English people, I suffered from the fact that all of my colleagues in in, in Wolfsburg spoke great English, so I never really had to learn any German. Okay, so we'll we'll stick to English. Yes, please. This podcast is in English anyway, normally. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you came to Lanzarote. Mm. How long ago was that? That was nine years ago now, um, back end of 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just one of those things, really. We, uh, both my wife and I had quite senior management jobs in the UK. Um, and we had, on paper, a great lifestyle um, and, and big incomes. But in fact, because of our jobs, we were both travelling all through Europe all of the time and uh, didn't really have quality of life and spent very little time with the kids. So we came over to Lanzarote on holiday and uh, absolutely fell in love with the place and decided that we wanted to live here. So we went back to the UK, put the house on the market and within three months we were back here living. Okay, and then you came out here and you started your own business, which is, if I remember correctly, Esther Pendle, which is the one we're sitting in the office of now. Exactly. Which wasn't that big... Then, obviously you've expanded, because you started small, you've expanded into what it is now? Yeah, very much so. Um, when we came here, we came here with an idea for Estopenda, um, which evolved in time, and we started it off with just the two of us running the business. Um, initially, it was about helping holidaymakers come into the island um, in various ways, and, and in time it dawned on us that the business model for that wasn't right. But where there was a huge opportunity back in those days was in long-term property rental. Um, The island at that time was going through a boom period and pretty much every, all all property on the island was being holiday-led. And it was very, very difficult for island residents or people looking to relocate here to find somewhere to rent for six or 12 months. Um, And we entered that market, started off just the two of us working quite hard on it. And in fact, while we were getting Estependo going, we were doing other, uh, doing other jobs as well, in, in my case, several. Um, but in time, yes, it grew, and uh, we, we're now, we are the biggest estate agent on the island. Uh, we have offices here, we're sat in Puerto del Carmen, we also have one in Playa Blanca and one in Tiquita. Okay, and so, so it's grown, you know, it's the biggest... Well, the biggest estate agent on the island. Okay. Well, I suppose it depends how you measure it. If you, <laughs> if you measure it in terms of properties available for rental and sale, yes, we're the biggest, and probably in turnover as well, but I don't know because I'm not privy to other agents' information. No. Okay. 
And did the idea of writing the book come out of the business of telling people what you've done, or was this something you just decided one day, no, you're it, going to write a book? Or it, was it no, it, it kind of evolved over time. I, I've always loved writing, and uh, I, one of the things I did when we first came here, one of the jobs I did, was to write for the local newspaper. And also I presented for one of the local radio stations, so, uh, and I wrote a lot of the material for that. Um, and I decided early on that I'd write a bit about our experience, because it's more commonplace now, but even nine years ago it was pretty rare for people to up sticks from suburban northern Europe and just sort of land with a young family on an island in the middle of the Atlantic. So I kind of wrote it for me and for future generations of the family to read, and then as I showed what I was writing to people, they, they gradually said, well, you really ought to put this together to a book because it, into a book because it would be quite interesting for people. Mm-hmm. So that's how it became a book. And so you're saying it's actually got easier over time. So anybody coming out now, apart from they've got people like you here to help them, which maybe there wasn't then, it's actually easier because the properties are there now? It, it's much, it's, you can't imagine how much easier it is. If I go back to 1999, it was almost impossible to get information about anything on the web. You, everything in Lanzarote then was done by fax or phone. And, and obviously I didn't speak Spanish at the time, so it was, it was one of the most difficult tasks I've ever undertaken in my life, getting my family moved out here. Now um, there are companies like us and a lot of businesses that have sprung up around us that, that can do so much of it for you. And, and you know, ultimately you can just pay a fee and, and arrive here and your furniture will arrive a few days later and your dog will be cleared through customs and so on. But it wasn't like that then. And that was one of the reasons we set up this Dependo to try to help people do that. And we provide free location advice. So is that what you would recommend someone to do who wants to come here to use a business to, like yourself to get it all sorted? Or is there room for people to come and try and do it all themselves? There is room for people to come and do it by themselves. Um, and there are whole companies that will do it all for you. We kind of fall in the middle in that our, our interest and where we make our money in is in renting people properties or selling properties to people. All the relocation aspect comes as part of that package. So we have lots and lots of clients who we, we hundreds really every year, who we rent properties for before they move here. Mm-hmm. And once they arrive, we... You know, we maintain we maintain a support network for them. So we'll help them get their kids enrolled in school. We'll help them get their NIF numbers and residencias so that they can buy a car. And we, we kind of gradually wean them off us while they build up their own local support network and start to learn the language. Okay, that would be. With I've been hearing that these, this NIF number that's been getting more complicated for the Brits because they don't get their cards anymore, they have to be A4 sheet of paper, well, that, like that, the rest of Europe. Yeah, that, that's the residentia. Um, what used to happen is that, that there were two separate documents, so you, you became a, a resident of the island if you were going to be here for 183 days or more a year. Um, you, should, you used to have to do that if you were living here for that period of time. The NIF number was separate and it was purely a fiscal identification number, something you needed if you owned property over here. Just recently, the, uh, the police have combined the two, so there is effectively only one document. And whereas we used to have uh, Spanish residents' ID cards, 
we now have this very cumbersome A4 sheet of paper that yes, we have to carry around. I've heard some complaints about this, that people, you know, they like, they like their cards. And yes, it's not very user-friendly, the new document. And in fact, I don't use it. I, uh, I uh, simply took a, a screenshot of my passport, which I reduced and laminated in credit card size, and I use that as I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because we've got the same problem in Germany. I can't get a German ID card yes. without taking up German citizenship. So I've got my passport with me all the time and this little document, which admittedly fits inside the passport in the German one, but yeah, and the, it's the, the same problem. The frustration is if only the UK would go down the ID card route, it yeah, wouldn't be an issue because we'd just be using our ID cards. Yeah. It's only the Brits, it seems but to affect. The Brits want so much for their ID cards in the end. It's true. There's something like 160 euros, I think it's going to be. Really? But it's 140 euros to renew a passport. Wow. And they said they've got to invest in new technology to, to do use ID cards. cards, so it's going to be more, so it's going to be about 160 euros Ooh. for us to go to an embassy and get one done. Good grief. Well, we, we become eligible for Spanish citizenship next year, because we'll have been here 10 years, yeah. and my daughter has already decided she's definitely going to do it. Okay. And there's a possibility we might not just to get the I, card, but I, because we, we live here and love it. I could have had German citizenship uh, four years ago. Look at this. Yeah. When I've been, been there 10 years, I could have been after... Uh, and it's such a pain. You have to prove your earnings. You have to pay a portion of your earnings. And, uh, right. get, and you have to go through all sorts of procedures to get it. And when we got married, it was bad enough. I had to, I had to be approved by a court judge that I wasn't marrying her just for citizenship. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So even though I got unlimited residency, you know, I said to go through the whole proceedings. Okay. <laughs> I, I think yeah. it's somewhat simpler here. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, the other thing I've seen, you've got this relocation pack. Mm. So what's, what's in the relocation pack? Is that the same sort of thing that you've been saying? Y yes, but it, it's information we... It get, I mean, I think it's on its ninth or tenth revision now, um, and we add to it all the time. So it's, it's a pretty weighty document, and we give it away free. Um, and I guess it must be 70 or 80 pages long now. And it covers all the key points that you need to consider when you're relocating and then finishes up with a, a free-move checklist mm. and a post-move checklist. So that's, that's done very, very well. I'm so amazed when I, when I looked at it, I think you're giving this all the way free. I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> In fact, I was, my marketing sort of sense said, why don't you do it the other way around? Why don't you give your book away free? And once everybody's read it and said, yes, I'd like to do that. Well, we've got this big 80-page doc, which I'll now sell you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And I'm going to charge you for it. That was the sort of way I'd have imagined you'd have done it and said, you know, I'm going to whet your appetite with my book and, and then free download, you know, and then yeah. go in for the business. But and so I suppose if we developed that at a time when we were working on the internet as we are now, mm. that's probably the route we'd have gone. But the relocation pack, the aim of the relocation pack is to tie people in to dealing with Estefendo. Yeah. So I, I think... Everyone who relocates somewhere goes through a process, and the first stage they go through is the well, could we do it, and all the what-if questions. That's the point at which they type relocate to Lanzarote in, into Google, mm -hmm. and that's when they get our website and say, oh, look at this relocation pack. So they grab that, they read that, they understand what they're doing, then they can move into phase two, which is, well, how are we actually going to do it? And because we've then got a relationship with them, and they've been able to ask us questions, they're likely to there. contact us. And, yeah. and as I said before, we make our money through selling and renting properties. And so the relocation pack is a, 
sprat to catch a mackerel to use okay. an English <laughs> which probably will go over everyone's head. So I was going to say, what tips have you got for people who wanted to relocate, but that's always going to be it. Search, go to your website, download the pack and read that first. Absolutely and right. And I think, I think that's a great first step. And, and it, it's solid, honest information in there as well. Um, and it, it isn't a bed of roses moving to, to another country. Everybody within two or three months hits what I call the wall. And uh, when they, they arrive at the wall, uh, the relocation pack talks about this, they'll go through a tough period before they manage to establish their own support network over here. Okay, so move, I mean, if I was coming out here, I'd, okay, I've been here. Yes. <laughs> I've been here now three times. So somebody, somebody relocating, obviously, I think with Lanzarote, they're going to have to be here first to say that's where I want to go. They're not just going to wake up one day and say I'm going there, whereas somewhere like Germany, we've we've experienced people who get sent there, they get sent there on business or whatever reason they relocate there and they've never been there, they'll suddenly turn up with not a word of German and yeah, not a word of and at worst they'll have had a relocation service from their employer who will, they really won't have a clue because they won't have prepared in the first place. You're right and, and it, I don't think I've ever come across people who've just moved here cold no. um, in, in all the years of dealing with people but it's very different living here to being on holiday here and uh, it, it's a whole different experience. And, and this wall I talked about, when you first arrive and you first relocate, it's wonderful because it's like you're on holiday and the weather's fantastic, um, <laughs> everything feels good, you've got a bit of money in the bank because you've sold your property in the UK or whatever. Um, and what happens then is that gradually all the little frustrations start to kick in. And it's crazy things like, Buying a car here is not as simple as walking into a showroom, giving them a load of money and walking out with a car. It, it's actually a bureaucratic nightmare it's just to buy a car. And that coupled with the fact that you can't understand what people are saying, you can't make them understand what you're saying, or, and the fact that you've left your family, your friends and everybody else a few thousand miles away, all conspire at some point to get you to the, oh my God, have I done the right thing? Mm. And... I've seen people at that stage who then just pack up and go back. And okay. it, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Most people break through that wall then, and, and what you end up with is some fantastic friends. And the one thing that I've enjoyed most about living on this island for all these years is the network of friends I've built up. And it's very different to the UK, um, or I guess other countries in Northern Europe, in that in those countries you tend to make friends with people who are just like you and they live in the same kind of cul-de-sac as you, they earn the same kind of money, they drive the same kind of cars. Over here it's very different and I've got friends from probably a dozen nationalities, from um, extremely wealthy people to people who are on a very, very low income but they're all really, really good friends and we all mix together all the time. So it's a, a very different social experience here. One of the things we wanted to ask <laughs> um, is thinking about um, what, we, you know, what we do. Um, and in the back of my mind, one thought was, would you come here without having a job in the first place? Or would you, it's not like, again, it's not like Germany where you can fly across from London and do interviews and then you find something and move out. So do people find their jobs here before they come? Or is it a case of you come out with a... Yeah, a stash of cash and you have three months to find a job or...? It, it's almost impossible to get a job out here from abroad. 
Um, the job market is very unsophisticated. Um, most jobs go via word of mouth. And the advice I always give to people is that you really need to be out here to get a job. Mm. Um, because realistically, unless it's a very high-powered job, uh, I, I'm an employer, and I mean, I, I wouldn't take someone on on the strength of a phone call. I'd want to see them. So when we have a vacancy, we, we essentially put the word out amongst our business friends, business colleagues, and then the phone starts ringing, and we bring half a dozen people in for interview and choose the best one. So the answer is to come out here with enough money to live on for three months, ideally six months, um, and then just tell everyone. And, and it's, it's the old-fashioned way of getting a job, really, but go into bars, talk to people. Um, let, if you're looking for a job with an estate agent, go, go visit every estate agent and leave a CV. And, yeah. and so cool. on. you've really got to do it the old-fashioned way. But there is work, and if you do... Um, if you are diligent in doing that, you will get a job. It might not be what you originally planned to do. But. It's, diff I mean, it's difficult. I mean, we had, I've employed people in Germany from the UK. We've had students, and they would apply from the UK by post. Yeah. And we do telephone interviews. And, and when we've chosen one, we invite them out. But that's, you know. Sure. It, it's, not, it's very good. It's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, one, of the reason, one of the things we were looking at, when we came last time, this is how it sort of mixes in with what we do because we do things like translations as well. Uh -huh. We've translated websites, we translate articles. Um, and one of the things we spotted is um, some of the bad translations. <laughs> yeah. Dreadful. Um, Real opportunity. Our favourite is the, um, the restaurant in Porto Car, which I won't name, uh -huh. that does a half-baked chicken. <laughs> it's meant to be a baked chicken, you know, half of it down yeah. the middle. It's a half-baked chicken in German. Yeah. I understand. So we've, we've got a whole list of these um, translations and we went why don't they do you know why the restaurants just don't get a decent translation and my theory was that if the people are coming to eat anyway we don't need to bother I, I don't know and it, it, it frustrates me I, I see it the other way as well I see um, British companies doing Spanish translations really really badly and I, I think it's cost cutting and laziness basically and, and the, the problem, one of the problems is that on a PC, it's so easy to do a translation. And I think a lot of the time, mm -hmm. people are doing these translations on the PC. What they're not being sensible enough to do is to contact a native speaker. And whenever we do stuff in Spanish, I've got half a dozen friends. I mean, they don't even charge me for it. I say, look, I've done a computer translation right in, in Spanish. I'll do a, my own wording, mm -hmm. but I'll know it's not quite right. And I'll pass it to them and they'll say, you just need to change that and do this and, and do that and it, it will look right. And we meet with this amongst ourselves. I mean, I read everything she writes and she reads everything my, I write, yeah? yeah? My wife's sitting next to me and nobody knows this, of course. I didn't say this <laughs> at the beginning. So everything I write in German, of course, my wife reads yes. before it goes out, unless it's really in a big hurry for a customer and it's got to go out that email now. Uh -huh. um, I mean, emails, we don't check. No, we don't do the emails, but any letters that are important going out or any blog entries that I then write on her sites in German, she will read before we publish them. And I'm cross-checking her stuff as well when she does an English to German translation. I'll read German back as well to make sure she's understood the English and things like that. And, and yeah. it makes sense. It's so easy yeah. to do. And I, I do think there is an opportunity here for um, English, Spanish, German combination of translation just to do the job properly. It, it amazes me that the island isn't already full of translation agencies that it, it, it's funny, it isn't. Um, but, but then the question is, would people use them? That's the... 
Well, I, and I think that's the problem. I think people over the years have, have set up businesses and said, you know, we'll do your translations for you. Mm. But they haven't proactively marketed the businesses. And, and, I mean, if I was setting one of those businesses up, I would walk into those kind of restaurants and say, look, please don't be offended, but this is horrendous. It, mm. it doesn't work. And you're likely... And, and it will reflect badly on your business if German people come and read that menu. Can I please offer you a service to translate it into good German? Yeah. It's only going to charge you. I'm only going to charge you 20 euros, 30 euros, whatever the charge would be, yeah. um, and, and, and get people going. So I think it's about having the, the guts to get in there and start telling people. It's going to be footwork. You're going to be going yeah. back and forth and trying to persuade the owners. Yeah. So there's a market for someone out there. Yes, there is. Someone there is for to sure. do that. Yeah. And, and with, with Germany recovering um, from the recession earlier than the, the rest of Northern Europe, um, German tourism, I, I feel, is going to become very important here over the next year or so. It's yeah, it's difficult to get here, though, we found. Expensive? No, just, just difficult. There's wow. the number of flights. The, um, we, we came with Spanair, uh -huh. and we flew Frankfurt to Madrid. Okay. Spanair's crews on Frankfurt to Madrid are usually not very good. In fact, I think it's the first Spanish crew I've ever had that could read, do German without reading their cards. Wow. <laughs> um, and then on the flight from Madrid out, they were rushing us. They were, you know, we literally rushing us off the plane to get from one gate to the other to catch the flight because it was late. And when I looked up in the magazine, the on-flight magazine, it said, Spanish only got one flight per day now from Madrid to Lanzarote. Oh, I didn't realise So that. that's why I'm thinking, I'm reading all these you know, messages saying, you know, visitor numbers down. I'm thinking, well, the visitors can't get here. There's, yeah. The Spaniards are reducing their flights. We had trouble booking flights at all from Germany. Good Every, um, if you go into places like Expedia, and yeah. you're looking at the, what flights are available, under a thousand euros per person, <laughs> um, and most of them were sending us either, you know, fly to Prague and from there, or fly to Amsterdam and from there. And even Iberia was saying, fly to Madrid, stay the night in Madrid and get on the early flight the next yeah. morning. And so my theory is that the number of flights have just gone down, and that's what's stopping the German tourists coming out. I think, well, I, I, yes, I suppose there's a bit of a chicken and egg effect there, because I, I've seen German tourism fall year on year, every year since I've been on the island. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I guess the number of flights have reduced because of it. Um, from Britain, uh, they are just kicking in now an awful lot of inexpensive, uh, what do they call them, the cheap flights. Cheap flights, yeah, they're coming yeah, from Germany. Ryanair, Ryanair are going to fly from Germany as well. Oh, they okay, two well, sites, I think that will help. Their sites are so out of the way. They call it Frankfurt Hahn, uh -huh. but it's sort of a bit like London Stansted, yes. or even further, it's about 200 kilometers, 180 kilometers, I think, from Frankfurt. So it's London, Southampton, then. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> it, it literally is that far away, and so Great. by the time you've driven there, and we've worked out, you know, the saving is not that much. Yeah. By the time you've driven there, and you might as well just, we live 20 minutes from Frankfurt Airport, so we might as well just stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how much of Germany have you seen? Other than Wolfsburg? <laughs> uh, we, we always stayed in Braunschweig, which is right near Wolfsburg, okay, is... um, and then always travelled on the train to Berlin and spent a bit of time in Berlin, which is where I met my wife. Yeah, I read that. That's yeah. why I wondered how much German you spoke. Because no, no, very little, unfortunately. And it was always those sort of full-on corporate trips where you're, you're shepherded and driven around all of the time. Yeah. So not you much. You could be down south at all. No, no, no because yeah. Michaela comes from south, Germany south west, and we live in the middle. 
So southwest, where, what, what places would they be? What towns? In the Black Forest. In the Black Forest, okay, excellent. All right. Oh, there's a fight going on here now. <laughs> Her first words on the podcast, the Black Forest. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking of cakes for some reason, gattos. Gattos, yeah, Black Forest gatto. Yeah. That's for the Kirschtorte, yeah. Comes from that area. Local speciality. No. Cherries and cream, wonderful. I want you to be down south east Bavaria area, across to Austria. I haven't, but funny enough, we do plan um, in spring of next year, we have, we have some very good friends who have a property out here who actually live in Holland, mm-hmm. but he works in Germany, he's a Brit, uh, but he works as a translator in Germany. And uh, our plan is to fly into Madrid, drive up through uh, Spain and, and see part of Germany and, and really kind of do a driving tour of Northern Europe. So hopefully we'll learn a lot more about okay. Germany. Oh, well, you, if you're near Frankfurt, we'll, we'll come and see. Drop a line, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come and see if we'll sure. meet up again. All yeah. right. You're not going down southeast towards Austria then? Possibly. I, I don't know. I can we'll, see you we'll on see. the Sound of Music tour. Ah, well, I, I love the Sound of Music. <laughs> and I've been to Vienna. Uh, yeah, that's further, further across. Salzburg's yeah. not so far. Salzburg's actually quite close. It's about an hour's drive from Munich. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't understand the sound of music. It's funny you should mention that because I, I couldn't resist. Uh-huh. I've bought some, some music with me. I think you want to do a little song with me. Oh, good grief. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite things. You're not serious, are you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I could play this. But I thought I might as well bring it with me. <laughs> Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Oh, I can just hear Judy Andrews singing it, actually. That's fantastic. Do you, do you play an instrument? Yeah. What do you play? I play uh, piano and clarinet. Oh, I play the trumpet. <laughs> Bring it with you. <laughs> if you can get it on the plane, yes. But I know, I don't fly with my instruments either. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. No, so we have... The, the, in fact, the film isn't that well known in Germany at all. Really? In fact, even in Austria, apparently, they don't know it. I mean, when they first brought it out, they uh, showed it up to the wedding. Uh-huh. And all the chase to, with the nuns and stuff afterwards, yeah. and when they're being chased, they left oh, it all off for yeah. political reasons. Yeah. Um, and it's only recently they've shown it full length. It, but most people don't know it. Even, even the Austrians don't know this film. They, only, only in Salzburg, because of obviously the locations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, there's a bit of a story to this, actually, because this must have come out when I was seven or eight, and I was living in Hong Kong at the time. 1965 was the release, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that, well, maybe it came out in Hong Kong a couple of years later because yeah. I must have been older than four. But I think I was six or seven, maybe eight. Um, and I, it was the first film I'd ever been taken to at the cinema. And my sister took me. She was much older. She was 14 years older than me. And I made her take me seven times to, to go and watch the <laughs> okay. film. And, and I, I kind of, that had become a part of my past, and I, I downloaded the album from iTunes about a year ago and rediscovered it, so okay. it's frequently in my car. Ah, yeah, we've got, we've got the tape with uh-huh. the, of the film, and I'm gradually showing various English films, particular such as a cultural importance. Yes. So we're watching those at home, and yeah, that's one of the longest ones. Actually quite a long film. It is, yeah. Quite a moving film in part. Yes, so especially I've when they sing Edelweiss in the in the big. Uh, that's which again, nobody knows. I mean, half of England knows Edelweiss. Yeah. But in Austria, they've never heard of the song. 
it's not Rogers and Hammerstein wrote it for the film yeah. and it's not sort of a traditional Austrian song that was but it just seems like one but it seems like it everybody thinks this is going to be you know the, yeah. almost like the Austrian national anthem and they've never heard of it incredible well it's that moment where he's singing on his own and then suddenly the whole crowd join in yeah. very moving yeah. great, great film how did we get onto that <laughs> you were coming to Germany <laughs> yes that's it <laughs> Okay, well... A tenuous link, as we used to say in radio. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for joining us, Mike, for Pleasure. talking to us about your life and the business. And um, if you're thinking of coming out here, I guess, or if you want to look at the website, what's the address? Okay, the Estefano website is Grupo, and that's spelled the Spanish way, G-R-U-P-O, estupendo.com. But you can get loads and loads of information about Lanzarote from lanzaroteinformation.com. And if you are coming out here and you want to meet up or you want a bit of advice, feel free to drop me an email. My email address is all over the web. Just look for Mike. Search for Mike Cliff Jones. Okay. Or, or Twitter. Or Twitter, Twitter, Twitter Mike C. Sorry, at Mike CJ. Correct. Yeah. So if you go to Cali Lanzarote, we'll put links on. In fact, we've already got links on, if I think about it, to Brilliant. the information site and on the Twitter. Yeah. Okay, but before we go, I almost forgot something. If everybody we have on the Monday podcast, I've had that he's actually made it into the suitcase. This the Monday podcast special guest coffee mug. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> How cool is that? So this is a, a mug, a coffee mug. That's a limited edition mug. Uh huh. That only people who come on the Monday podcast receive. Brilliant. You can't buy them anywhere. It's, the design is unique to like there's about, only about 15 of them in production at the moment. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It says special guest on it, and it's got a picture of a microphone and a link to uh, themondaypodcast.com. Exactly. So I really appreciate that. Thank you both. Okay. Thank you very thank much. You. And the Monday Podcast will be back, I hope, next week with another interview. Bye. This was the Monday podcast from allthingsgerman.net. Responsible for the content, Graham Tappenden, 61440, Oberorsel, Germany. To leave a message in the blog or to join the forum, please visit www.themondaypodcast.com.